It's just fun looking at other people's junk. It really is. Junk to buy, it's cheap entertainment. Uh, you can see a lot of nice houses and folks. Find out a lot of stories about things going on. Well, I purchased a crystal ball the other day at the state sale. Never found one before, and I looked into it. And I can see the year 2031. Now, that sounds futuristic. It's only 15 years away. 2031. Charlie Hartsfield is president of the United States of America in 2031. <laughs> Eleanor Weatherly won the Daytona 500 for the third year in a row. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is a Republican. <laughs> Rush Limbaugh is a Democrat. Gasoline is three cents a gallon. And flying cars run on kudzu. My granddaughter Annabelle becomes the first Baptist nun in history. Chris Hall is starring in Broadway in the show The Tony Galvey Story. He plays the lead role. Tony Galvey could not do it because he's in the revival of the hit TV show The Bionic Man. Kind of makes sense with all that surgery's coming down. You know, all of these things are possible. In the realm of possibility, there might be slim chances, but they are possible. However, they're not likely. Not likely, but possible. Christianity that we celebrate today makes the impossible possible about things that really matter. And so today we're going to talk about that and look at the power of a changed life. Let's pray together. Father, help to encourage us with possibilities. Help us to know that Christianity makes the impossible possible. And we'll aim at higher things, different than political contests or races. We'll aim at changing people's eternal destinations. We'll aim at revival. We will aim at making this world what you would want it to be. So Father, help us to be encouraged as we look at your word today, like your spirit that wrote these words. Help us to understand them and to be enlightened and changed forever by. Thank you for this time that you have us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so many examples from Scripture of a changed life that did impossible things. And I'm not going to tell you all the stories. You know a lot of them. You think about the story of Gideon. And if you know much about Gideon, and there's a group today named after Gideon that does wonderful things, but Gideon began as a coward hiding and became a conqueror. Joseph, and you know his story from the Old Testament, went from being a prisoner to Pharaoh's right hand man. David was a shepherd boy. And he became a king. Matthew was a tax collector, which is not a good thing in this day and in this culture when he lived and became a disciple. Saul, a killer of Christians, 
became the greatest missionary Christianity has ever known. Just to name a few. One of the greatest changes that you'll see comes in the life of Lazarus, brother to Mary and Martha. You remember the story, it's found in John 11, before we read some scripture from it, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. Lazarus lives in a town called Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was sick and they had a relationship with Jesus, so Mary and Martha sent a messenger about a day's journey away to find Jesus to tell him, you might ought to come here. Lazarus isn't doing so well. He's in bad shape. So when the messengers get to Jesus, there's a good chance Lazarus has already passed away. He's already gone. Jesus, of course, knew that Lazarus was dead. So Jesus, instead of dropping all he does and going to Bethany, carries for a couple of days. Then he takes another day's journey to find Mary and Martha. And Lazarus has been dead now for four days. That's significant because the Jews thought at the time, the culture thought at the time, that your spirit would hang around for three days and after day number four, you're gone. So Jesus goes to the tomb. And we want to pick up the story there. John 11 beginning at verse 39. I'm going to read to you. I have a different version on my paper. Let me read you this one. Roll the silent aside. Take away the stone, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Can't you see the people watching now? You think they expected anything? Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that one? Maybe they have video in heaven that we can see some of these things, but that's one that I want to see. And the dead man came out. And his hand and his feet bound in grave clothes. So he had to kind of bunny hop out of the cave, I'm guessing. And his face was wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. I love the story. Before I comment on the story, let me tell you a few others. When Jeannie's mother was visiting with us recently from Mississippi, Jeannie took her to some places that you would take people from out of town. They went to the Swan House. You might take people to the Swan House. From what I understand, ladies would like it better than I'm not going to the Swan House, but Jeannie's mother liked it. They went to the Margaret Mitchell Museum take people there from out of town. I like to take people to the varsity. That's just what I like to do. But you know the drill. People come from out of town and you want to take them somewhere. And You probably have your list of places you take visitors to see the sights. When we were kids, I thought about this last night. 
we would take people to 14th Street to see the hippies. <laughs> Do you remember doing that? In the 70s or 60s, we would ride to the 14th Street just so we could see the hippies. It was like an aquarium, and you'd look through the glass, and there they were. Why am I telling you this? Don't you know that when people came to Bethany, or even to Jerusalem, and that's a lot of people, and Jerusalem is not far from Bethany, that they would go to this very spot? They would have somebody come from out of town and they'd say, you know, we've heard that story about, about Lazarus and Bunny hopping out of the, that's not biblical, but that's just in my mind. Lazarus hopping out of that grave. We, can we go see that? And so they would go to the cave where the stone was rolled away. That's prophetic, isn't it? And they would see that. Or they'd go by the house. And maybe try to get a glimpse. I think that was Mary. Maybe that's Martha. I can't see. Oh, there he is. And they want to see Lazarus. It, it would have been a tourist destination. And then whenever Lazarus would have gone out, especially if you were there at the cemetery and saw him coming out, whenever he would go out of the neighborhood, don't you know, that's the guy. That's him. And people will be so excited for Lazarus signing. He was a walking billboard. So with that said, we get to the 12th chapter of John. And we see the rest of the story. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, That perfume is worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. John adds, not to care for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you. You won't always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. Remember the tourist destination they had to see him. The man that Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had departed them and they believed in Jesus. It was because of Lazarus that people would believe in Jesus. In John 12, Jesus isn't too far from giving his life on the cross. His days are numbered. He's about to be beaten and crucified and put in a tomb, much like the one Lazarus was in. This had to be reassuring to Jesus to sit at a table with Lazarus. 
It had to be great comfort. Lazarus was dead and now he lives. He was in a tomb with a stone rolled over it that it was rolled away and Jesus was anticipating that first Easter. The empty tomb of Lazarus had to be <clears throat> help Jesus look forward to his own empty tomb. But two points about this story I want to make. You can be, number one, you can be close to the work of Jesus and never change. You've seen that happen with family members or churches or brothers and sisters. One guy didn't, one didn't. You can be close to the work of Jesus and never change. Look at Judas, he's proven Mary anointed Jesus' feet and Judas complained. John told us clearly it was because he was a thief and he didn't even care for the poor. And what Jesus talked about, helping the poor and giving, Judas was opposite of that. It's hard to believe that Judas saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It's hard to believe that Judas saw miracle after miracle, yet he never changed and he lived for himself. Let's call Judas one of the great underachievers in history. One of the great underachievers in all of history. But what I really want you to look at is verses 9 to 11. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of Lazarus. Many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Scores of people are coming to Christ because of Lazarus. I told you there were two points I wanted to make. Number one, you can be close to the work of Jesus and never change. But number two, and this is about you. God uses the changed to change the unchanged. I know that's hard to say, but it's true. God uses the changed to change the unchanged. Let's call these overachievers. Lazarus and Mary and Martha help are in that category. They help to bring change. We're talking about them 2,000 years later. Hopefully this room is filled with overachievers. People that God can use to change the unchanged. I want to tell you some stories of a few overachievers as I define them. Many of them don't even know that they are. Bob Williams is now in heaven. He was an over-the-road trucker. And I think he had amassed over 2 million miles at the steering wheel of the tractor trailer rig. And several of those miles he was drunk, Bob told me. That's scary, isn't it? He became a Christian in his 70s. And I had the privilege of baptizing. And when Bob became a Christian, he wanted everybody to become a Christian. And he went to his old drinking buddies and his neighbors and people he had wronged and told them about the change in his life. And his faith caused change in many that had been unchanged until they encountered him. One of my best friends uh, in Indiana became a Christian because of Bob. I'll call her B. B was a rough woman. When she came into the church, the people would say, Do you see who's in church? You ever said that about you? It's not a really good thing to say, but they were shocked because they knew of her reputation. You see who's in church. She too was in her 70s when I baptized her. The, the change that I saw was in people's attitude when she came to Christ. People began to see that no one was beyond the love of God. No one. 
And so maybe the next time another reprobate would walk into church, they wouldn't be so surprised. Overachievers are changed and they help change the unchanged. You prayed for my friend Ed in Indiana about a year ago. On Wednesday nights, we prayed for Ed's salvation. He was at the bottom of the ninth inning and he was dying and he was probably in his 80s. And he lived near a little church in his community uh, that I used to drive by, but he never attended that church. The people at the church had invited Ed and invited Ed and invited Ed, and they probably quit inviting in the 60s or 70s because that wasn't common. And so for 50 years he lived nearby, but everybody knew Ed, that's not coming, so I'm not going to ask him anymore because, well, Ed is Ed. One day Ed showed up at church and everybody in that little church were well they were shocked they couldn't believe that Ed was there a friend of mine visited Ed and Ed became a Christian and Ed was ill and my friend couldn't baptize him so he sprinkled him and Ed became a Baptist Methodist combination there <laughs> and Ed became a Christian but that little church was revived by seeing the change in one that they thought was unchangeable. And it made them want to be overachievers. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this next bit. My mother-in-law has become an overachiever. Me of little faith. I kept telling my wife before my father-in-law passed, y'all are going to have to figure out what you're going to do with your mother. Y'all are going to have to figure out what you're going to do with your mother. There's no way she's going to be able to function. It's been a little over five weeks now. And now my mother-in-law is letting her light shine brightly. And she's doing fine. Thank you very much. And she is an inspiration to me. And I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. And she's becoming overachieved. I find it very interesting that Lazarus became an overachiever because Jesus gave him breath. But couldn't the same be said of all of us? Doesn't Jesus give us breath too? And while he does, let's change the unchanged. Let's become people that, like Lazarus, uh, people want to see and people point to and say, that's the person. One more verse, and we're going to talk about this one next week. This is the perfect verse for world-changing overachievers. You meditate on this one this week, and this is where we begin next Sunday. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together.